Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. This scripture in Revelation, I'm going to ask of our team, I'm going to be reading predominantly out of um, the New Living Translation in Revelation chapter 1. So if you have your scripture, open up to Revelation chapter 1. This tells the complete story, (laughs) I believe, of the principles that we want to look at this morning. Um, I have a parallel Bible, and uh, I have the King James, which is the word-for-word translation on one side, but I also have the New Living Translation, which is the thought-for-thought translation. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. If you you have a different version in front of you, maybe you just want to listen um, to what the principles here of the thought. Uh, John the Revelator had been given this revelation while he's in prison. He'd been testifying and preaching the Word of God, and he's arrested and he's put in prison on the Isle of Patmos. And uh, if you know the story in Revelation, Jesus appears to him. And he says to write this. So let's, let's turn to Revelation chapter 1, and let's begin in verse 1. This is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. Isn't that interesting? Soon take place. You know, in, in God's time of economy, He tells us in Peter that a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. So we're not even quite three days in the timing since this was revealed to John. So that's why he says it's going to soon take place. I guess in eternity's time, that's really nothing. (laughs) He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything, everything he saw. This is his report of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads these words. Thank you, Lord. And this prophecy to the church. But he also blesses all who listen to the message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is who always was and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us, listen to this, He has made us a kingdom of priests. For God His Father, all glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen. Here's where the title of the message I pulled from this scripture here. It says, I am the living one. I died, but look. Look at this. Look, He comes. This is, let's pull up on verse 17, he comes in the clouds. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, and as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid, I am the first and the last. Now let's go back to uh, to verse 7, excuse me. In verse 7 it says this, look, 
He comes with the cloud of heaven. And everyone, this is an amazing statement. Remember, when Jesus was ascending, the angels came to the disciples and says, why are you staring up? The same Jesus who ascends is going to come down. Here is this confirmation. Look, he comes in the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. And John, I am your brother and your partner in the suffering of God's kingdom and in this patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the Isle of Patmos for preaching the Word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast said, write in a book everything that you see and send it to the seven churches in the city of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe and a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice thundered like a mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand. A sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth. His face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me, and he said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died. But look. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Whoa. Then the instruction, write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand. And the seven gold lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Lord, I thank you that you have revealed to us the revelation of the one who always was, who is, and who is to come. The title, I am the living one, but look, I was dead and now I'm alive. I'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1. We're going to look at the accounts from different key leaders here. Peter, Paul, Jesus. We're going to see in 1 Corinthians there was a great deal of controversy. There were two different uh, Hebrew sects, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
And the Sadducees, they had an issue. They didn't believe there was a resurrection. I've been told that that's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> you have no hope, right? There's no, why wouldn't you be sad? I mean, and Jesus kind of, it's amazing. Here's the, the one they see as the carpenter, right? The, uh, the son of Mary, this simple man. He now instructs the religious leaders, right? We know when he was 12 and he stayed back in Jerusalem, he was teaching, they were amazed. Well, here again, he instructs them. He actually says, don't you know the Scriptures? It's kind of an interesting statement. So let's, let's look at Paul's account in 1 Corinthians 15. He starts out in verse 1. He says, let me remind you, brothers and sisters, the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then. May you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message. I told you, there's this real danger today of people that are slipping away they're, they're being deceived. They're not holding on to the foundational cornerstones of truth. He says, I pass this on to you, and now I pass it on again. And he says this, verse 3, I pass on to you what is most important. See, there were lots of letters and instruction from Paul to the church. So I, I have something most important that I also now have passed on to you. It's been passed to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures said. He was buried, He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. Now, here's all the eyewitness accounts. This is, this is so powerful to me. He says, first He was seen by Peter, then the twelve. Then after that, He was seen by more than 500 at one time. Most of all, He was then seen by James and the other apostles, and then he goes on, he says, and then as least of all, I saw him also. Kind of the way Paul met him is not the best way you want to meet him, right? He, was, he had killed Stephen. He's, he's in uh, this place of arresting Christians of the way. And uh, Jesus confronts him on the road. You know this one. Knocks him to the ground, blinds him for three days, puts scales over his eyes. Boy, what a three-day journey that must have been for the guy who thought he had been doing all the right things. He says there's a way that seems right unto man that actually leads to death. And that's where Paul was, Saul at that time. But then a servant is sent by God to come lay hands on him. The scales fall off. He's baptized. He's baptized in the Holy Ghost. And then he becomes this amazing apostle a slave, he calls himself, of Jesus Christ. Well, we want to see here the most important part of what Paul is declaring about the resurrection from the dead. He goes on and he preaches this through verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12. Let me tell you this, since we preach Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying the resurrection of the dead has already occurred? Some of you are saying there'll be no resurrection. Others have said it already had happened. He goes, let me, let me clear this up for you. He picks up in verse 17. Let me, let's go to verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and our faith is useless. Did you get that? There are those that are trying to undermine the resurrection of Christ. Some story, No. Uh-uh. Eyewitness accounts validate. There are those today in other nations. I've had the reports directly to me from others who have seen the resurrected Christ appear to them. Muslim nations. People that have said, he, sh- he came to me. 
resurrection Christ. He says if, what Paul's saying is, if this didn't happen, then your faith is useless. Verse 20, he goes on and says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who will have died. You see, just as death came into the world through one man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another. Just as everyone dies because they belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. See, remember what he told Lazarus' sisters after Lazarus was buried in the grave? Jesus declares that in John 11. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So we've been given this new life. Paul goes on in the rest of that chapter. You might want to read it. He talks about the resurrection of the body. One day, you and I are going to have these resurrected bodies. I, I love that. I, I just like, one day I'm going to be buff. Man, I'm going to have all that. Praise God. Hallelujah. It says this corruptible now must put on incorruption, right? And he, de- he teaches this amazing truth about the resurrected body. We know Christ had it. He walked through walls. He came to that place. And said, Paul, he even told uh, Mary, he says, don't touch me. I haven't ascended to the Father yet. He was in his resurrected body. He was no longer the beaten, bruised Savior that was not recognizable. He was now in this perfect state. And I love this. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, there's going to be a trumpet blown one day, and we're going to be transformed from these dying bodies. This is in verse 51, 52. It says, 53 goes on, it says, For our dying bodies must be transformed into ones that will never die. Mortal putting on immortality. Then these dying bodies will be transformed. But here's this amazing statement. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death has been swallowed up. And the sting of death, you know, I... The more I do this, having opportunity to pray with people at their time of their death and standing in that place, hearing that there's this thin veil that separates us. It's very, very thin. In fact, we're finding out as a result of the virus, we know this, how, how vulnerable, how, um, how weak these bodies really are, unless He holds us and keeps us. But this thin veil, He says, I want you to know death is swallowed up. I have victory. The grave, it no longer, it couldn't hold him. And guess what? It will not hold those who believe in him. Praise God. It's like, whoa, one day. That's why he says, encourage yourself. Look at verse 58. Brothers and sisters, as you hear all this, since there's no sting anymore, then he says, be strong, unmovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. (laughs) Well, I want to focus on something. Um, let's go back to that Revelation 1.18. In that Revelation 1.18, he speaks of the keys of hell and of death. The keys of hell and of death. If you want to go in your concordance or just look up, I mean, you look up at the keys and you'll find several amazing uh, statements made in Scripture. In Isaiah 22.22, 22, we don't need to look there, but it says, he has the house of the key, the keys of the house of David. In Matthew 16, he tells his disciples, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. 
There's some other keys. We know from Revelation 9, there's a key that's going to be opened to the bottomless pit, and the destroyer during that day is going to be released. The keys to the bottomless pit. It says the destroyer shall be released. In verse 1 and 3 of Revelation 20, it says, the keys to the abyss. This one's later. When it's all finished, after all this tribulation hour is done, the Antichrist has been revealed. It says there, he says, the keys to the bottomless pit will be opened. An angel's going to be given these set of keys. You almost get a picture of Jesus handing this big set of keys with this big, it's been locked up. He goes down and he opens up the bottomless pit, and this is where old Sleuthfoot is thrown in there, <laughs> locked up, chained down. Can't wait for that day. Boy, what a day that's going to be. So there's something about the keys. But I want you to see, turn with me to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. Revelation 3, 7. There's an interesting statement here that those who use this as a, a, a key rapture scripture, actually, they said, we're out of here. <laughs> and you can see some interesting thoughts on this one. In, in Revelation 3, let's begin in verse 7. He's writing to the church at Philadelphia. This was an amazing church. Remember, he's talking to the angel and to the, the church at Philadelphia. This message, verse 7, says, write this letter to the angel of the church at Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who's holy and true. Now listen to these words. The one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one closes. And what he closes, no one opens. Talk about authority. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have had little strength, church at Philadelphia, yet you've obeyed my word, and you did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to the Satan synagogue, those who are liars, those Jews who are not, they'll come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones that I love. Wow, what a statement. Now look at verse 10. Because you've obeyed my commands to persevere. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere. Are you persevering right now? I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come on the whole world. I will protect. This is the one who has the keys of day. I will protect you. From the great time, from the great time. King James, let me read this to you. King James says it this way. Because you have kept the word of my patience, I will keep you from the hour of temptation. What a powerful word. Testing those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I will come quickly. Hold fast to what you have. Hold fast to what you have. That no man take thy crown. Do you see that there is a key that opens doors? This is this key. And Jesus says, I have a key that protects you. Now, let's, I want to I focus on this for a minute. This is an amazing set of scriptures that always in, encourages me. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter 3. And let's look, um, let's begin in verse 18. There's this whole discussion of what Peter's doing at this point. He wants to clarify some things about um, what really took place. He says in verse 18, Christ suffered. 
I want you to notice he's going to talk about the crucifixion. He's going to talk about going into the grave to the depths of the earth. He's going to talk about the resurrection, and then he's going to talk about being seated at the right hand. Look at the progression of Scripture here. Verse 18, 1 Peter 3, 18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. Get an amen on that. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring us safely home to God. Hallelujah. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. Now look at verse 19. So he went and he preached to the prisons, to the spirits that were in prison. Think about that for a minute. He died so that we might live. He then goes and he preaches to the spirits in prison. Look at the, the chronology here. Those who disobeyed God long ago, when, they wait, when he was waiting patiently for Noah to build the boat, it's like 120 years for Noah to build a boat. There's a lot of people died during that time, unbelievers, mocking Noah. There were only eight people that were saved during the drowning in that terrible flood. And this water is a picture. This is a, a kind of a, a, a picture of what the water was about. It was a baptism that now saves you by removing the dirt from your, not by removing the dirt from your, your dirt from your body, but from those that have an unclean conscience, cleansing us. It is, the, it is so effective because of the resurrection of Christ. And so we see here that this progression, now look at this. Now God has gone to heaven. Verse 22, Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God, and the angels and the authorities and the powers accept his authority. He f suffered physical pain, but you yourselves must have this same attitude. Do you see the progression? It's interesting how Peter just like, oh, by the way, mentions Christ died for us to be set free. He then went into the place. He preached to the prisoners, those who had been in unbelief and doubt years and years ago. We're going to see now that let's pull out of Scripture what did Paul say about this? And then what did Jesus say about these prisoners that were captive? What did he do? When did he get the keys? When he says he went down into the depths of the earth and he got the keys of the death and of grave. Let's turn to Ephesians 4 for a minute. Let's look at Paul's account. Just a, it's a kind of a corollary or a sidebar to what he's doing. But it's amazing how Paul picks up in Ephesians chapter 4. And let's, let's start reading in verse 8. When he ascended to the heights. <laughs> so here it is. Remember, Christ is about to ascend. We see that in, the, in Acts chapter, right, in the beginning. He says, he ascended, but what did he do first? When he ascended the heights, he led crowd of captives. He ascended with a crowd of captives, prisoners. He led a bunch of prisoners free out, and he gave these gifts to his people. Notice what he said, he ascended. This clearly means that Christ descended into the lowly world. At the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so he might fulfill the entire universe with himself. Then he gives these gifts. He speaks of the fivefold ministry here, that they're equipped the saints for the work of ministry, which is what we're doing on Wednesday nights. So we see Peter's account that there was this prisoners that were he preached to. 
Paul says he ascended, but first he led these captives out. It's almost like he got the keys, unlocked it, said, come on with me. I got the keys. Death is no longer in charge. I'm in charge. And he starts to ascend, and he's seated at the right hand. Well, let's look at Jesus' parallel. Turn and look at Luke chapter 16. I'm getting excited. I love these with the fact that God has all these revelations of great glory, what he has planned. Your eye can't see it, and your ear can't hear it, but what God has planned for those who love him. Let's look at Luke 16, and we'll begin in verse 19. You probably are familiar with this story. In Luke 16, 19, he says, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed. Here's a guy, he's unsaved, he's lavished with all of the stuff of the world. He lives in luxury, but he has no compassion. Remember Jesus said, that which you did for the least of these, that you did unto me. Well, here he says, at the gate was a poor man, Lazarus, who was covered with sores. And this poor man, it says that, in fact, the dogs would come. He's so sick and so diseased. This man had no compassion. You can almost see him stepping over him like, can't be bothered. Let it not be so, God. And so it says, Jesus teaches this parable. He says, when this poor man died, he went to be with Abraham. Look at verse 22. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. Carried by the angels to be with Abraham. And his soul went to the place. Now we look at the rich man who died and was buried. And he went to the place of torment. His soul went to the place of the dead. Tormenting dead place. In his torment, he saw Abraham in a far distance off. Verse 24, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have pity. Send Lazarus over. Let him dip his finger in the water. Cool me. I'm in the anguish of these flames. Anybody who tells you there's no hell? Jesus preached more about hell than he did about heaven. Hello? And if this is the truth, then we ought to be sober about this. Abraham said to him, son, remember, in your lifetime you had everything you wanted. He had nothing. So now he's being comforted and you're in anguish. And besides, here's the fact. There is such a great chasm. There's a separation. No one can cross here. No one can cross over. The rich man said, well then please, Father Abraham, at least send, go warn my brothers. Don't let them come here. Warn them. Don't let them end up in this place. I have five brothers Obviously, this whole family was a bunch of lost, unrepented, unbelieving. Abraham said, Moses sent the prophets, and he warned them. If your brothers can't get that from the Scriptures there, then they're not going to get it. And so, he said, well, at least send someone back from the dead. Of course, Jesus is about to go to the cross, and he's going to come back from the dead. And Abraham said that there is no separation now between those who love Christ. So I want you to see from that picture, we have Peter saying there was the spirits that were in prison. We have Paul declaring that he led the captives free. We have Jesus saying that those who believe in Christ, those who believed in God, even in the Old Testament, are in this place with Abraham. Well, let's take another scripture from Jesus. Let's go to Matthew 22 and verse 31. Matthew 22, 31. 
he's now countering this discussion about the resurrection and the false belief there is no resurrection. So he's telling these sad, you sees, about what they ought to understand from Scripture. In verse 31, he says this, now, whether there be a resurrection, this is red letter, this is Jesus, haven't you ever read, <laughs> what a statement to make to the Pharisees, about the Scriptures here? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he's the God of the living, not the dead. That's the scripture in, that Jesus, when he appears, when God appears to Moses, right? In the burning bush, he says, I am that I am. I am the God. And so this is long after Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is that place where, don't you guys get it? They're not dead. We have another scripture that I love to look at when you think about the, the transfiguration on the mount. Peter, James, and John are there with Jesus. The Father comes, declares the Son's identity. This is my Son. And there's this cloud and out of it, and all of a sudden you got Elijah and Moses, and they're talking to Jesus. They're not dead. They're alive. This idea that this thin veil can't be walked through is just ludicrous. Let me give you one more. How about Let's turn to Matthew 27. This one, I always have thoughts of this has got to be wild. I don't know what people reacted to in Jerusalem when this happened. This is the account, in Matthew's account, of the death of Jesus. Then we'll begin in verse 45. In Matthew 27, 45, he says that at noon darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. Wow three hours of darkness. No wonder the Roman soldier, when he witnessed all of that, the earthquake and everything and the darkness in the middle of the day, he said, surely this was the Son of God. It says at three o'clock, Jesus called out, and it says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? What a terrible, here is this sinless God-man, but now the Scriptures tell us he became sin for us. The one who knew no sin, he now becomes your sin and mine. I don't know how that works, but no wonder he cried out to his father. It's probably the only time, I'm sure, in eternity that he was ever separated. The three in one at that moment, it says, why have you forsaken me? Because sin cannot dwell with a holy God, and you now have become the sin sacrifice, my son. But as soon as he gave it up, says, it is finished. At that moment, earthquake, shattering, shaking, the temple veil, three, this curtain that separated the holy place from that which was the common places. Three inches thick, torn from one angle to the other, no longer separating us from the holy place. He made a way. That royal blood has now purchased us, declared us holy and righteous. Wow, come on. If that doesn't bless you, something needs to be adjusted. This is like, wow, God, you have declared us righteous and holy. You did it all. You paid the price. The debt is forever and ever and ever. Whatever is needed to be paid, you paid it for us. If we will acquire that walk of holiness with you. Well, let's look at verse 52. The tombs 
as soon as the earth shook and the rock split, verse 52, the tombs opened. <laughs> and the bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. Now, how's that? that you talk about a Hollywood movie. <laughs> they left the cemetery after Jesus was resurrection, res resurrected. And they went into the city of Jerusalem and they appeared to many people. Woo! Can you imagine being a, one of those grandkids who mock grandma? Says, you know, God is who he says he is. And, yeah, 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 grandma. And all of a sudden, here comes grandma. I told you, <laughs> I'm here. I'm back. You know, like, oh, I don't know how that works. I just think it's really got to be awesome. If you ever sit on the east wall looking over Jerusalem, all the graves are there, right? The east wall has been sealed up, and there's all these thousands and thousands of graves. Can you imagine on that day, here's Golgotha off to the back, the place of the skull where Jesus was dead, resurrected, and then that might sit in, in, the, in the rich man's tomb not far from there, and all of a sudden the rock is out, the tomb is woken wide open, and these graves and his people stand out. Man, that just gets me excited. Like, this is strange. Yeah, my ways are not yours. Hallelujah. And so that appearing to many, <laughs> and they were resurrected. Uh, so this thing where it says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now I want to get serious for a moment, but let's give you one more hope scripture. How about the criminal? Look at, look at Luke 23, 43. In Luke 23, 43, we see this criminal, one there's this mocking that goes place, right? Fulfilled Scripture where he was crucified with those who had broken the law, the lawbreakers. He's considered a criminal himself, Jesus. And one criminal mocks him, says, why don't you get us out of here, right? Get, come down. And the other criminal, in his fear of the reverential honor of God, don't you fear? Look at verse 40. The other criminal protested to the other one, don't you fear God? Boy, that would be a statement. There needs to be some folks that near to fear the reverential honor of God today. Even though we're sentenced to die, we deserve our crimes. But this man, he hasn't done anything wrong. Then he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into, into your kingdom. Jesus replies, today, I assure you, you will be with me in paradise. That word, this thing, this is an instantaneous, this, this is that place where those who love Christ, on that day when we pass from this life, we are with him. Paradise. But we also read in, in the account of where the rich man went. So we see this. This is this promise that we know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus paid your debt and mine so that we might live. I want you to see that the keys that Jesus got over hell and of death, he opened up that place. He now has gotten back from the devil the keys of the kingdom. And that's why in Colossians where he says in Colossians chapter 1, by his death and his blood, he has now reconciled heaven to earth. You who were once separated from him. Actually, the word there literally means enemies of God. 
And that translation in Colossians 1 says, you were enemies separated by evil thoughts and evil actions. He has now reconciled, made it peaceful between heaven and earth. And now you're holy and you're blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. My spirit man does a dance over that. My mind tries to get a hold of it. He then tells us in Colossians 3, set your focus, set your thoughts on the realities of heaven where your true life is actually seated. And we know that from Ephesians. He says we're seated in the righteous place in heavens with Christ. My spirit says, yay. My head says, huh? But I embrace that truth that this place he's prepared for us he said, I'm going to go away, John 14. Don't be afraid. If it weren't so, I would have told you. Well, I want to offer, it would be a great and opportune time that today we know from John chapter 1 that Jesus, the Word, became flesh and He dwelt among us. He was here among us. He understands the trial. He understands the battles. He says He knows all that we've been through. Well, I want to look at, I want to pull up Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10. There is this place where we have an opportunity only this side of heaven if we would openly declare. So wherever you are, would you make this declaration with me? If we would openly declare, I don't care where you've been, where you've messed up, I've had several phone calls in the last few weeks of people that are struggling. They've messed this up. They, they tripped up here. They, they want to get back on track. They realize the battle that's on. You know, every one of us are in a battle every day. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Nail the passions to the cross. So every morning, you've got to kind of see yourself with a hammer and a set of nails and you got to get on your cross. You can't carry somebody else's cross. you got to carry your cross. i got to carry mine. The devil knows how to play you. He knows how to play me. But Paul said, we're not ignorant of his devices. The more we get skilled in the levels of warfare and understanding the revelation of truth, you can take that hammer and say, you know what? i got to pull on the full armor of God this morning. i got to walk in that place that the devil doesn't have authority over me. And then I've got to give him the sacrifice of praise. My flesh wants to do this. My thoughts want to go here, but I'm taking those thoughts captive. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. Pulling down every stronghold, every fortress of thought that raises itself because we don't fight with carnal weapons. We fight with spiritual weapons. Amen? So in this scripture here in Romans 10 and 9, if this is you, if you want to reset, you want to get saved, you want to re-walk back this thing, this the time is really getting short. I mean, we know from Amos chapter 3, he says he doesn't reveal, he doesn't do anything unless he first reveals it to his prophets. This book is loaded with so many fulfilled prophecies already that he already did, and he's coming back. He said, I'm coming back. The question is, when he told us over and over again, Jesus, to watch and pray, be ready, don't be caught unaware, watch and pray, just like in the days of Noah, they'll be caught unaware giving and drinking and marrying and doing, all caught up in the world. And suddenly, 
This is the time. Stop playing games. This is, this is the place where we have to come into alignment with a desire for holiness. That's a choice. He tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 30, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Oh, that you and your descendants would live. Choose life, he says. Choose it. Heaven and earth, will, heaven will witness your choice. See, there's this, the book of life, we know that, right? We see that in Daniel, we see that in Revelation. But there's also, I believe, a book of works. Once you don't get saved by works, you've been saved by His grace. It's a gift. The gift of God is eternal life, right? But there is this place where you have a choice now to walk this out, to make righteous choices for God. It's hard, I understand that. There are places, people struggling with addictions and brokenness and abuse and marriage situations and children lost and wandering around in the world. There's all of these challenges. But if God be for us, who can be against us? So come on, my brothers, my sisters. Let's step into, let's make a choice today. Deuteronomy 28, there's a blessing of covenant. What a Tremendous, powerful scripture. There's seven verses there. He talks about those who walk in covenant with me will be blessed in their families and their flocks and their homes. It goes down in verse seven. It says, and when the enemy comes, this is a false belief. Once I'm saying no, no, no bad things are going to happen to me, good luck. That's usually when the battle really starts, right? He says, when the enemy comes against you one way, I will cause him to flee seven. Well, I'd like to see the devil try to get away seven ways at one time. That's got to be crazy funny. But that's the promise of those who are in a covenant relationship with Christ. So, Lord, we just come and we confess on this mighty day that we've been sinners, but now we're saints. God, we thank you that we turn from our wicked ways. And now let's declare this together. Let's make a statement together. Romans 10, 9 and 10. We now, let's make it in first tense. We openly declare that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And I am saved. Because I believe in my heart that you have now been made right in God. And I openly declare my faith and I am saved. If you prayed that, and you mean it in your heart, you have been born again. Name written in the Lamb's book. Now you got to walk it out. Words only have power by the testimony of the actual actions of walking out in faith. Let me pray for you, and let's just bow our heads for a moment. If you're driving, obviously pull over. Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus, as we stand on the eve of the rest of your days for earth and your plan, Lord, we want to be found worthy. The Lamb is worthy, and those who trust in his name shall never be put to shame. God, we thank you that you have opened the doors that we might walk through. And what you've opened, no one can close. But you close the doors that you said no one should walk through. 
But here's our choice. We declare that you have become sin for us and now our Savior. On this resurrection day, we are so grateful for your plan. Paul in Ephesians says, the mystery of this has now been revealed. And when he thinks of it, he falls to his knees. What a God. What a Savior. What a promise. As we close the service with a song this morning, I want to declare this number 624 blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. And may God make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. The Prince of Peace give you peace. God bless you.